What happens when you have two sanguines doing a podcast together? Well, you have a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, but we also have a lot of great information for you. So come on into the podcast and listen to Elizabeth Sines and I talking about her program, Finding David. Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Catholic Divas, thank you so much for coming back and continuing our series of perimenopause. Last week, I was talking about mindset and I was talking to you about asking the right questions. And one of the questions that I was talking about was understanding your cycle. And maybe one of the reasons why you're maybe frustrated or confused about your cycle during this perimenopausal phrase is that you don't really want to get pregnant. And so we talked about the fruit of that, of maybe because you don't want to get pregnant at this age, you're avoiding sex with your husband. But maybe there might be something deeper in that whole topic. And today I have a special guest. Her name is Elizabeth Sines. She is a wife and a mother and another certified Catholic coach through Metanoia, but she's also the founder of Tabor Vision Coaching. And what she does is she helps Catholic wives communicate effectively with their husbands, teaching them to use words and phrases that are more naturally communicative to his unique temperament. Finding David is an eight-week group coaching program for frustrated Catholic wives. Sounds like you? We're going to learn more. In this program, Elizabeth shares specific tools and techniques to free your marriage from the prison of expectations and to help you rediscover the man you fell in love with. You'll also uncover the gifts and the strengths that make you the ideal wife for him. And you will do all of this in an environment of compassion and solidarity with other Catholic wives. Doesn't that sound fabulous? I'm like ready to sign up right now, but we're going to, we're going to delve into this with Elizabeth and I hope that you stay for this conversation. Elizabeth, welcome to Cycles and Sanctity. How are you? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. I can't stop smiling. (laughs) So fun. Oh, fabulous. So real quickly, one of the things I want to share with you is As a coach, we're on a lot of Zoom calls together and things Mm -hmm. like that. And Mm -hmm. we have been discovering as coaches, like, where do we fit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is our unique design and who are we called to serve? And one of the things that I want to acknowledge you that helped me is that you said that as a sanguine, we don't really like to focus on pain. We want to do the fun Mm -hmm. stuff. Yes. And it seemed like that was like your aha moment of why you created this program. Yeah. We've been doing the series and really the revelation for me when I was going through perimenopause was that thought I'm a mess. And everywhere I looked, I just saw a messy life Mm -hmm. and I was in such despair and no hope. 
and I didn't know how to fix it. And part of it was my marriage. And by the time you're in perimenopause, depending on when you got married, I was 24, no, 23. I don't remember. <laughs> somewhere around, we've been married 37 years, somewhere in my early 20s, early 20s, like within a couple of years after graduating college. And my my brother used to tell this joke. Why did the idiot keep hitting his head on the wall? Because it felt so good when he stopped. <laughs> I mean, that's such, a, but that's kind of like what we feel like at this time, you know, like we're trying, I've been doing this, I've been doing that. Mm-hmm. And yet you've discovered something really fantastic. So I want to give you the stick and I want you to tell us like, how did you discover this? And like, what was the aha moment and what are the results? Oh man. Well, I think initially what this stemmed from was my husband and I are both sanguine and we really value friendship and playfulness. And that's just been a staple of our whole relationship since we started. We were friends first and then we started dating and our dating was just so much fun. And we used to laugh about how like, like, well, we spent four hours together. We still like each other. We must be doing okay. We spent nine hours together. We're still doing okay. And it got to the point where we were realizing that a lot of older couples were looking at us sort of cynically. And they were telling us, wait till you've been married a year, wait till you've been married four years, wait till you've been married 10 years. No matter what stage we got to, they always warned us that there was a stage coming that was going to get really heavy and hard and dark. And we just passed our 10th anniversary. And I remember we would tease each other all that last year going like 10 years, I'm going to stop loving you at 10 years because everybody told me I would, you know, (laughs) and and it was so it was just this threat hanging over us. And we were like, we don't we don't want to get there. We don't want to feel like that. And then in the midst of that, We started learning, we got into Metanoia Catholic and coaching, and we started learning all of these things about our temperaments, about our strengths. We both took strength finders. And what we learned about each other was that we actually have the exact same temperament. We're both sanguine and melancholic. We have six of the same top 10 strengths in Clifton Strengths. Most of the assessments that we take are like spot on. We have very similar results. And we realized, oh my gosh, like, Maybe that's why a lot of this is easier for us is because we were sort of set up to understand each other in a way that a lot of other couples maybe don't have. And I started to observe the couples around me and I recognized that there were certain temperaments that just naturally struggle more together. So it doesn't mean they don't love each other and it doesn't mean that their relationship isn't a good relationship, but that they just naturally are disinclined to the way the other person thinks and acts. I particularly find myself coaching choleric wives on their phlegmatic husbands. Like that is a big pain point because these choleric women are so driven and so focused and they have big ideas and they know how to go get them. And their phlegmatic husband is like, meh, like, I'm good. Nothing needs to change. Status quo is fine. And she's like, what? Like the status quo is never fine. (laughs) And so it led me to this place of being like, you know what I want to do? I want to help women either discover for the first time or rediscover their husbands because dating is this, there's almost no skin in the game. Like you're just having fun and you're just playing and getting to know each other, but then you get married and the stakes go really high, really fast. And if you either let life distract you from the original vision, or maybe you never even understood completely at the beginning exactly. Because a lot, again, a lot of the time, choleric women, for instance, they loved dating because they were in charge and he rolled with the punches and it was easy. But you get married and you have babies and you need him to show up in a bigger way because you have babies and more responsibilities. And he's not showing up because he's used to you taking control and being the heavy hitter in the relationship. And you feel alone and you feel abandoned and you feel like, 
wait, wait a minute, why am I stuck doing all this by myself? This is your job. You're supposed to come with me. But that was never the role he played in your relationship when you were dating. And he doesn't know how to like switch that on now. So anyways, it was just this realization of there's so much good and there's so much potential. Dare I say in every marriage, that is, especially the sacramental Catholic marriages where you are getting sacramental grace from just being married to this person. There's so much potential for you to be a powerhouse of a couple, but sometimes life gets in the way and we start to pile on those expectations and those beliefs about what marriage was supposed to look like and our judgments, even looking back to what our parents were like and whether we wanted to be like them or we didn't want to be like them, there's judgments and expectations there. And so for me, I actually was reading a book. Oh goodness. I think it was a business book. 10, 10 times is easier than two times. And at the very beginning of the book, he uses this quote from, it's, a, it's actually a fictitious story, but he uses this quote from um, Michelangelo where the Holy Father saw the David and said, how did you create something so amazing? And, and Michelangelo's response was, that's easy. I just eliminated anything that wasn't David, right? And so right. I like to have that image of like our husbands are sort of this over the years of marriage, we've created this like block of marble around our husbands and we lost him, but he's still in there and mm. he's amazing and he's strong and he's kind of hot, like, and he's in there and we have to chip away all that marble and get back to him. And that marble is everything from our beliefs and expectations and judgments about him to our own saboteurs, our own struggles, our own weaknesses, our own beliefs about ourselves and our worthiness. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you chip at that, you start to rediscover this amazing guy and all of the potential of your marriage. Oh, that is so good. So good. So good. <laughs> so, I have to share with you a story about the temperaments and how it really revolutionized our marriage. I'm going to say this out loud. My husband has not taken the temperament assessment. If he ever does, that will be really exciting. But I had always thought of him as melancholic because when we started studying the temperaments and in the Metanoia Catholic podcast, they talk about the Walt Disney kind of poo, you know, yeah. caricatures, right? And when they said Eeyore, I just started laughing because we have said that my husband is an Eeyore, like mm -hmm. whatever the worst case scenario, he always goes to there, right? But what I discovered when I started looking at the temperaments more deeper, I realized that he probably has phlegmatic actually higher. And one of the things we talk about our fulfillment stories and looking back at the breadcrumbs of God's holy will, right? Yeah. When my husband and I first started dating, I was in a a job. I was in the military. I was a, a second lieutenant, which is like right out of the gate, but I was in a captain slot. I was in division staff. I was just way over my head. This is not something I should be doing as a young 22 year old. Mm. This is just not a position. And I was so emotional and I would come home, we would go out and I would just cry on his shoulders. And the thing I tell my kids, like, wasn't taught how to date, wasn't taught what to look for in a guy. Same. But what he gave me was safety and security. Oh, I love that. And it was in the spring. And then I didn't know how to do my taxes. I was freaking out. He calmly helped me with my taxes. Yeah. For my birthday, 
he gave me a vacuum because it's so funny. <laughs> this is just so funny. I have to say, share this story. So we were dating and I had to go to this, this training for a week and I just hadn't had a chance to clean out my stuff. And I thought, oh my goodness, the milk is going to go sour. I don't remember how it was. I think he met me in the morning. But yeah. And so I gave him my key. I was like, would you just clean out my refrigerator? Because otherwise I don't really want to come home to stinky sour milk. Yeah. Well, I came home and he had a vacuum because he had known that it was my birthday during that time. And he had a little note and said, I cleaned your apartment, but I didn't see a vacuum. So here's a vacuum. And I remember standing there thinking, what do I do with this? I mean, I still remember this 37 years later. I, I remember standing at the apartment thinking, what do I do with this? Like, should I be insulted? What do I do with this? And then the thought came to me, okay, he's never going to give me the pearls or the romantic stuff, but he's going to give me some practical stuff. Yeah. And that has actually been a joke for us for the 37 years. It's that phrase from, I think it's called robots. See a need, fill a need. Yeah. That is yeah. completely him. He yeah. sees what you need and then he does it for you wow. or he gets my car washed and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So fast forward, one of the other things that we've said about him before we knew about temperaments was he's like our grounding rod. And we joke because the bigger the emergency, the calmer he is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when my sister was in a coma in 96 and everybody was coming into town, he was going back and forth and getting, picking people up, depending on what their flights were. And everyone said, wow, Steve is the calm one. And he's the behind the scenes. He wasn't the one that was crying. And so when I looked at the phlegmatic conditions, I realized that is his gift to bring harmony and peace. Mm -hmm. And this summer we went up to Wisconsin. He's from Wisconsin. We hadn't seen his family in 20 years and his younger sisters were having a birthday twins. Well, for whatever reason, they had this family situation. Seven years, they had not been talking to each other because of this event. And one of the other sisters called him and said, you really need to come up I've been trying to do stuff. I don't know what to do, but you're the big brother. And of course we were getting our son ready for college and yeah. he didn't really want to. And I said, you need to go because this is your gift. Mm. And when I poured into him and he said to me, well, I don't really know what to say. And I said, you don't have to say anything. It's your being. It was like this light. It, it was so amazing. And Elizabeth, I have to tell you, it was such a gift for us. Because as we were going, we're kind of entering into this empty nesting stage, right? Our son just graduated. He's going to go off to college. He's the last one. How are we going to relate? And it was such a beautiful trip. He made all the plans. I just let him, I'm like, you do it. It's your family. You do it. We had a, our own car. So we went and visited people. And then we had our own time in the car and we did a couple of things by ourselves that he wanted to do, like go visit his grandparents' grave. And and it was such a beautiful gift. Like we were so comfortable and we were so, I don't know, it, it was like dating, but yet we have 37 years of experience. Aww. I was like, gosh, I, I wish we that. could. It was, <laughs> and it was so beautiful. And And this year has been such a transition since we're still trying to figure out like, how do I cook for two? I still have a daughter that lives with us, but She's kind of like our roommate, you know, I, 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 25, but yeah. it was because I understood his temperament and I leaned into creating his ideal condition. What does he need? And 
pouring in because as a sanguine, I know that also my love language is words of affirmation. And so I really studied his contributions and just reaffirmed. And he did, he thrived. And it was so beautiful, this reunion, because the sister, the first, the one, she really wasn't going to go. I mean, we went and spent the night with her and she shared with him, but she showed up. The brothers-in-laws had all been hurting because they were all very, very tight. And because of this situation, they kind of didn't know how to handle it. They didn't oh. want to offend the other sisters and da 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 yeah. And my husband, it just filled his cup because he remembered how much. We hadn't seen him in 20 years. And he missed those relationships. And my heart was full just watching him mm-hmm. have his heart full. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that's what you want, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it because it's so counterintuitive that you think you need to fight for what you need in your marriage and you need to be hardcore about it. And maybe we fall into that nagging or complaining or even withdrawing or feeling neglected. But when you just focus on him and pour into where he shines, he comes through more and more and more for his loved ones, especially phlegmatics. Like they thrive so much on affirmation and they shut down so quickly with criticism that it's like, I was trying to explain that to some, I can't remember, I was coaching a cleric woman and I was telling her about, you need to affirm his baby steps. And she was like, well, I don't want to sound like I'm like mothering him, you know? And I was like, yes, but nagging him is also like mothering him. So let's just do the positive version. <laughs> like, let's There's just the sanguine, let's stay just positive. See what yeah, yeah. You know, and that's it, right? That desire for positive. But yeah, it's so funny because we think that, well, no, this is bad behavior. He's not showing up the way he needs to. And I have to, maybe we even have that concept of fraternal correction in our minds of like, well, it's my job to get him to heaven. So I have to say these things to help him understand where he's flawed or failing or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that may all be true, but so are these gifts. So are these strengths. Again, I heard a woman recently call her phlegmatic husband, her rock. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? That's like the perfect description. Yes. Like they are just there and they are dependable and predictable and, and strong and sturdy and they are the strong silent type. Like they're just there for you. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to overlook them. But then really like in the storm of life, who do you want to cling to? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I even share with my kids looking back, you know, we were young. He was 26. I was 23 when we got married and we didn't know all this stuff. Right. And we were not living in our strengths. So the dark side of that aspect of it is, is that because they bring peace, phlegmatics, they also tend to not like conflict. And so they hide. Right. And I am a sanguine choleric, but because of my family of origin and also just because of being in the military, the choleric side would come out. And I know that when it's funny, I, I know when I'm kind of off kiltered, people start calling me General Jane instead of <laughs> Jane because I become very demanding. I'm like, we got to do this. We got to do that. Very uh-huh. choleric and everything. Uh-huh. And he will hide. And I yeah. used to say he's an ostrich, but yet... We've just kind of stumbled along and the grace that we have had is being in a sacramental marriage and just understanding that God's faithfulness, that we have to cling to the faithfulness. Like a marriage counselor told us one time, you, when you get married, you've got to remember that there is no exit door anymore. Mm. 
If you understand that you are in a room together with no door, then you're going to figure it out. And that was one of the best. I think that was the best visual for us to realize why are we thinking that there is an out? Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to admit that there were times in my young marriage, I'm just going to leave him. I'm just going to leave. That was always like that thought. Mm -hmm. And when this marriage counselor said that to us, that thought was no longer there. It was like, no, Mm -hmm. there's no leaving. Mm -hmm. And even with my husband, there was one time in our marriage, we went through a very, very, very horrible time. And he did, he packed up his bag and he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm leaving. And praise God, this is how God works. We live about a mile away from a Catholic church. So either way, however you go, you have to end up at this stop sign. (laughs) And I literally was just like crying, like my whole life is destroyed. And I was like, all right, Lord, well, you're going to, that's all I have. That's all I have. And about 20 minutes later, he came back in the door and he looked at me and he said, if one of us leave this house, our hearts will be hardened. We have Mm -hmm. to fight it together. And that was a grace filled moment that literally I was able to say, I am so sorry for what I did in this situation. And he was able to say, I am so sorry to put you through this. Before that situation, we were, no, it was your fault. No, if you hadn't done this, no. And that's what happens, right? Right. Is like, if you would just change, right, then everything would be fine. No, you got to change. It's like letting go of that rope and saying, I'm so sorry. So sorry I did this. Yeah. And I think that was the moment when I, like I said, I've been talking about this whole perimenopause, the beauty of perimenopause is, yeah, things start to like kind of unravel Mm -hmm. your cycles getting longer. Maybe your actual menstruation is getting heavier. Maybe like you're freaking out. You don't know whether it's ended because these, you know, am I done? Am I not done? You're, you're not being able to lose the weight that you used to. You're feeling frumpy. I mean, all of these things, and then you look at your marriage and isn't that where the enemy wants to attack us? And so then all of these thoughts just go into everything wrong with our marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it makes me think of when I first got engaged, I was trying to explain to my dad how perfect Albert was. And, and I was telling him, we've never had a fight, dad, we don't even fight. And my dad's response was, and I just, I value this so much. He said, Elizabeth, when you do, Albert is not a monster. And I was like, well, duh, of course I know that. And he goes, no, no, no. I know you. And I know how dramatic you are. When you fight, Albert is not a monster. And I carry that thought because I'm like, it's so true. As soon as you argue with someone, you turn them into the villain, right? Mm. They're the villain and I'm the victim or I'm the damsel in distress or I'm the hero, whatever. But I'm justified in my stance, or at least I'm more right than the other person is. And it's my job to defend myself. And one of the things that Albert incorporated into our marriage that has been so powerful is a lot of the time when we're disagreeing, he's holding my hand or he has his hand on my arm or on my leg. And it creates this experience of now we're in a football huddle trying to figure out how to win the game against the enemy versus it's us versus each other. It creates this experience of connection where it's like, it's me and you figuring this out so we can win against the devil. It is not me versus you. Yeah. And that was that moment that we had. That was absolutely that moment. Like when my husband got to the church and he looked up and he goes, what in the heck am I doing? I cannot (gasps) leave. And that's when he came back. But that was a grace-filled moment. Yeah. 
And it's almost worth it to have the fallout at the beginning to get that moment because that's such clarity and Mm -hmm. such mercy and such grace in your marriage of like Mm -hmm. this aha moment that you wouldn't have had without the conflict. Like Mm -hmm. I read a book by Dr. I think it was Dr. Popchak wrote a book called The Exceptional 7%, I think. Mm -hmm. And he has this moment where he says that couples who are really good at marriage actually look forward to conflict because they know that there's deeper understanding connection on the other side. And going into the fire, going into the fire. Yes. Yes. Like you're going to be refined after this, but your marriage is going to be so much better, so much stronger, so much more beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's something that we miss. We think conflict is bad. Most of our temperaments think conflict is bad. Well, that's Um, what society tells us because the world teaches us to avoid pain at all costs. Right. I mean, look at the whole world. Oh, you can't do that. It might be hard Mm -hmm. or whatever. But that is the beautiful thing about being a Catholic is this whole understanding of redemptive suffering, right? right? Of us suffering. And the beautiful thing for us in that story is, is that I think it was about a year or two later, our priest actually asked us to become marriage prep. And it was kind of funny because we were still, it wasn't like our whole life became this garden of roses. No, we were still struggling. Yes, we were still broken. We were still trying to figure it out. And we looked at him and like, uh, do you know what's going on with us? And he goes, that's exactly why I want you to help other couples. And we weren't afraid. We would always bring up this, like there was a moment in the journey And then it was like this one particular class and my husband would look at me and like, okay, we're going to lead it out. We're going to show you all the bad stuff that what happened with us. And I mean, we did it for seven years. And so many of those couples would come in like, wow, thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty. Yeah. And now praise God, look at where we're at. And like I said, this, this grace filled moment of these empty nesting days. And I was actually thinking about this as I was preparing this whole perimenopausal phase and stuff, yeah, is that if you think about a woman's cycle, let's just say she starts at maybe 12 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the average woman, maybe let's just say 52. Mm-hmm. So that's 40 years of her cycle. Maybe she starts having babies at like 22 or 23. So right. 30 years of baby making, you know, reproductive, worried about whether we're going to have babies and all that stuff. But after like 50, 52, the average age of dying is 82. You have 30 whole more years of your life without having to worry about having the conversation about, are we open to life or are we not? Because it's just not even on the table anymore. Right, right. That that train's gone. Right. And you have this whole different way of relating. And it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And it, it like came to me during that trip thinking, wow, we have a whole nother 30 years. Like this is, this oh, is like a whole like nother a new big, adventure. It is. Yeah. It's like a whole another experience. Like we're leveling up in a, in a whole new, new way. Our, yeah. our children are grown and we get to have these conversations, different conversations. And yeah. we look at the parents that, you know, at, there's a particular couple at our church that they have a little 18 month old girl and a little three year old boy, and just watching the dad and the mom. And we sit a couple of times and we just look at each other and smile. Remember those days? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's so different because you have that perspective of it's so real and so painful for the person in it. But when you get to pass that point and look back, you can see the beauty and the growth and the necessity of the pain. 
and what happened to your marriage because of it. And I even think about that, about like what you're doing with NFP and with teaching women about their cycles and all these different stages. I think as a society, we make a lot of like hormones jokes, like, oh, it's just your hormones. Like it's no big deal. And it's like, no, do you realize how powerful hormones are? These are a very big deal and they're very intense and very painful. And I think about that in the context of this perimenopause phase where like your hormones are all over the place, creating this whole new system in your body. Of course, you're going to see more problems in your marriage because your body is just doing all kinds of brand new things that it's never done before. And it's emphasizing the problems outside of your body. Like when you start to feel, I have uh, hypothyroidism and I know when I haven't taken my thyroid medication, my whole world crashes. It's mm -hmm. like, clearly this is end times and <laughs> everything terrible is happening. You know, like I just go pure drama, melancholic. And, yes. And it's so funny because it's just this little part of my body that is throwing off my entire world. So like right. naturally, if something's going on inside of you, that's different and new and hard, you're going to start looking at that guy you live with because your kids, like you said, it's empty nest syndrome. So also your kids are gone. You're dealing with that pain of like, you've said goodbye. You've moved to this new phase. And then you're stuck with this guy who you've lost touch with for 30 years because you've been busy raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know what? You're the only thing I feel like I can control right now. So I'm going to do my best to control yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't control your body. And then even depending on their own understanding of your body. And that's one of those things actually that during our training as, as Billings instructors, we talk about like, men, this is a time for you to be a little bit extra sensitive for your wives and be a little bit more loving because she's beating herself up of, I can't lose the weight. My belly's getting big, my cycles depending on the situation of the history of children that she wanted or didn't want mm. or whatever, fertility is declining. Yeah. And maybe some of her hopes and dreams also, that's part of it is that yeah. I'm here in this stage. And again, the way it just kind of, just the way the Lord works, right? Is that these kids getting older and starting to leave and now they don't need me as much. Right. And so who am I? Rejection on every front in mm -hmm. a way. But isn't it beautiful? It, it's one of those things that I've been meditating. The Lord says, unless a seed dies in the ground, it cannot be reborn. And that's really kind of what I discovered through perimenopause. And that's one of the reasons why I am doing this series is like, I wish I knew then what I know now of it, because we don't talk about perimenopause very often, no. we kind of joke about the hot flashes and the sleepless yeah. nights and yeah. the emotions. But again, it's all jokes. It's making it this silly girl thing that's just a phase and you'll be fine and everybody goes through it. And it's not taking into account some of the real almost tragedy of it, the deep human pain and the real feelings and the real experiences that happen in the midst of it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your, your program. I I'm so intrigued about this, the name of it, finding David. So that was how you found it is the idea of Michelangelo. Yeah. That... Finding David inside of a block of marble. And I just, I found that so intriguing. Can you imagine uncovering his face for the first time to think of it as the eyes of a discoverer rather than a creator? You know, that, that that's how it felt to me mm. that Michelangelo was discovering David. He wasn't creating David. Mm. And I think that that's part of the thing that as wives, 
we've been with this guy for X amount of decades. We know him by heart, right? There's nothing mm -hmm. else to discover. We know what he's going to say, depending on the situation. We know all his favorite, you know, we little things. We know how he likes to squeeze the tube of toothpaste. We know all these details. Like we were all laughing one day because we were talking about how most of our husbands like to drape their dirty clothes next to the laundry basket instead of in it. And we're just like, we want to <laughs> understand this. What is the thought behind this? So all these little details, these quirks that you know so well, but living with somebody every day, you can lose their heart. You can lose who they are because mm. you get so caught up in the everyday just stuff, just the normal routines. Well, he likes to eat this and he doesn't like when I do that. And he's always late, but you know, I always forget to do this and it bothers him, all that stuff. Right. So anyways, just that concept of rediscovering who he is. And I think the cool thing and what you're proving as we're talking about the temperaments, which is a big tool that I use in this, I use the temperaments, I use mindset coaching, but one of the cool things about the temperaments is you don't even need him to take the temperaments assessment for you to be able to start to quote unquote diagnose him, right? Like you start to see all of this information, all these contributions, motivations, weaknesses, and you start to be able to pick him out and go like, oh, for sure, for sure that is my husband. Even, even like you said, the caricatures of the Winnie the Pooh characters, the first time that I did a workshop for wives, I called it the wise and innocent wives workshop because I wanted to take that scripture verse B as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? Like mm -hmm. let's pull out how to motivate our husbands by actually using words that he feels motivated by. He doesn't feel motivated by necessarily the words we would use. Right. But there are specific words for specific temperaments that work really well. For instance, with the phlegmatic, I love the concept of seeing how would you make this process easier? Because mm. they're so good at that. They're so good at simplifying mm -hmm. versus talking to your sanguine husband. You might be like, how, you, how are we going to make this fun? How can we make this a game? Kind of make yes. it playful. And I used quotes from A.A. A. Milne for each of these characters. And it was so funny because one of the quotes was Tigger and Tigger's like everything. They're just always happy. But then Eeyore is like, good morning, if it is a good morning, which I doubt, <laughs> you know, just very gloomy. But my favorite was actually the choleric because there's this line where Rabbit wakes up and he says something like it was going to be one of Rabbit's busy days. It was a captainish sort of day where people say yes, Rabbit and no, Rabbit and wait until he tells them. But how do you appeal to your captainish husband? How do you talk to him in a way that helps him feel like he is the leader? He is the leader and he's going to take the team and he's going to win and he's going to achieve. How do you play with all these words? Because to be honest, as a sanguine, the words like words like goal and achieve scare me. I'm like, eh, that yes. sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of terrible, horrible work. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know? I coached a woman one time who said we were going through the motivations and we were picking our favorites and being sanguine. I was picking enjoyment and fun, you know, sparkle. And she picked efficiency and discipline. And I was like, Ugh, sounds terrible, but it was good for her. And it was just this moment of being like, how does your husband see the world? And how can you use words that appeal to that mm -hmm. when you do need him to show up? How can mm -hmm. you motivate him with his language? Beautiful. How can how can your contributions help his weaknesses and vice versa? Where yes. do you need his contributions to come out and help you in life? And what are his triggers? How can you help him kind of work around those? What are his ideal conditions? How can you create those for him? And I think the ideal conditions and the motivations are such a great place to start as wives, mm -hmm. because you know, you can create the ideal conditions and you know that you can change your vocabulary to fit his motivations. Right. You right. can't always avoid his triggers for him or anything, but- Right. It's know, those fun. other it, two areas. It's it's interesting because like I said, years before I even understood any of this, the only thing that I knew from personal development was Jack Canfield has a book called 64 Success Principles. And his first okay. principle is E plus R equals O. So the event 
plus the response equals the outcome. You can't always determine the event. You can't be in charge of the traffic. You can be in charge of your response. So you're stuck in traffic for an hour. You could either get all hot and bothered and the outcome would be you'd show up to your work all mad and the rest of the day you'd have horrible. Or you could be stuck in traffic and you could listen to a book on tape and then you show up an hour late and you just adjust your time, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one of those things that I learned very early, like I said, like probably 25 years ago, the R was the important part. So one of the things I would do, especially when we were like in a funk or fighting or whatever, I would ask myself, what am I responsible for? Where were my sins? I kind of sort of knew, I don't know. This was God like saying like, you need to get to confession on your part, whether he goes to confession or not, whether he acknowledges that he screwed up or whatever his, but now years later, looking at the temperaments and setting the way we teach is the triggers I kind of look at that as like, how did I instigate that trigger? What am I culpable for? And then again, that act of love, like, I love you so much that I'm going to give you this space of ideal condition. And when I learned about that, that brought a, a memory back when my husband was Cub Scout, the pack leader for 10 years. So every month he had to get ready for his pack meeting. And he was so... So typical phlegmagid. I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. But he literally would have this whole script for all of the leaders. They have to say the different things. And he would literally have a time like at 6.30, we're going to do this. 6.32, we say this. And (laughs) there would be mothers coming to me and like, I love the fact that he has this down. I know what to expect. We're going to be out of here. And I'm like, yeah. But at home he was like focused on this mission of, I have to get this. I have to get that. And I just knew like kids get out of his way. Don't talk to him the next hour until he gets out the door. What can I do to get you out the door? And that was my, my way of helping him. Hey, can I get this for you? Can I put it in the car? Hey, Johnny, go help him do this. Like you need the space to think and to prepare and to get out the door to go do your mission. And And then I think about the ideal conditions and I think, yeah, this is how we can love each other. Right. It's like looking at your ideal condition and say, Hey, you're going to be doing this X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. What can I do to contribute to the ideal condition? Right. And it makes me think of, there's a, there's a question that I love for choleric husbands is, do you want an opinion or an assistant? Ooh. It's so good because they like to be in charge, but sometimes you want to come in with opinions because you're thinking, nah, I think there's a better way to do this. And here's my opinions. And they don't want your opinions. And then you have an argument, right? But in a moment where you feel like this could go either way to be able to just be like, do you want an opinion or an assistant? And then you put that back on them and give them space to kind of work in their ideal conditions, right? So it's just all of these moments of, you know, or for, for my husband, like we're both sanguine. I know we're both inclined to bunny trails. So when we get into a project, it's just this understanding that there will probably be at least three bunny trails while we're trying to pack for this trip we're going on. We will be packing and suddenly he's mowing the lawn and then we will be packing and suddenly I'm calling my best friend and that's just us. So it's going to take us roughly 30% longer than anybody else to get in the car. <laughs> but, but just that recognition, I think, especially because a lot of the time we think there's a right way to do something. The right way tends to be our way. There's a right way to do it. There's a time limit on what we're doing, which 
almost always the time limit is arbitrary. It's almost always something that we've created aside from an actual appointment that's like scheduled. Even then though, a lot of the time those appointments could be rescheduled if everything went terribly wrong, you know? So Mm -hmm. all of these moments in life where we think that the rules and it's so rigid, we almost make them like commandments. And the reality is, is that there's almost always space to Mm -hmm. like step back for a minute and be like, is it worth it for me to win at the cost of our unity, at the cost of our connection? I remember sort of what you were saying about sitting with how you're wrong. I heard that on the Messy Family Project. It's Mm -hmm. a podcast for, Mm -hmm. I love that podcast. And they said at one point, even if you're 98% right, sit with the 2% where you were wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's so good because it's like, okay, maybe I was a hundred, like almost a hundred percent right, but my tone was terrible. Right. Like mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. one would want to agree with somebody who used that tone. Yes, that is so, oh my goodness, that is just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because again, in this whole perimenopausal phase series, like it really started off with this idea that Father Scalia had talked about, which it was just so beautiful. I had never really considered it. It's it's the feeding of the 5,000, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. two fish and five loaves. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, our Lord says, gather the fragments so that nothing will be wasted. And there were 12 basketfuls, right? And that's the aspect of like each basket, we're fragmented. We feel our life is fragmented. And yet our Lord wants to gather these fragments so that he can create something new and nothing will be wasted. And that was the key that gave me, and I I mentioned at the beginning of the series, that became my prayer. Lord, I'm giving you this fragment because I know you're not going to waste it. I don't know. I can't figure out how to do this. I've been beating my head on the wall, but you're not going to waste it. And the whole temperament thing, it has been an answer to my prayer, you know, 15, 16 years ago. I don't know how we're going to fix this aspect of this, but I'm giving it to you. And now he's like, okay, his time, right? St. Peter says a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And that's, you talked about time and appointments and our manuals. Like we have to get this right because, oh my goodness, my children, I've got to get everything done for them because they're going to go off to college or I've Mm. got to get this right our marriage needs to look this way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I just laugh. I, I don't know. I'm just at this point in my life. You know what? God has a plan and yeah. his yeah. ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. There's that quote from Love and Responsibility by JP too, where he talks about how love never is. It's always becoming. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so good because it's like, I think that's it. Like we get married thinking I'm going to have this figured out in the first five years. And then I'm just going to sort of like set cruise control. And we're just going to like go for the next, however many 30, 40, 50 years that we get to live. And there's always a new stage. And I think I found that very frustrating when I realized it was that like, you're so used to being in that awkward, I'm learning phase as a child and then through high school. And then you start to get to be kind of like the big man on campus, senior year of high school. And then you go to college and suddenly you're a freshman again. And it's like starting all over. And you think, well, after this, I'm going to be a real adult. And then you get your first job and you're just the baby again. And then you get married and you think, well, now I'm good. I know my mom always had it together. My dad always knew what was going on. It's going to be fine. And then you realize every phase of marriage there's new things to learn. Once you figure out one summit, you have another one ahead of you. And you mm-hmm. can you can look at that and be frustrated and feel like, no, I want to just cr- be on cruise control. Or you can look at it as like, this is going to be so cool. I can't wait to see the view at the top. Like, because every time I get to see that view, it's better and better and better. 
Right. Yeah. And then also the thing I love about the journal that we have is that exercise one is the success from yesterday. So seeing where we came from and while there's that danger of the glory days, like, oh, back when I was whatever. And and I will have a tendency to do that sometimes, Mm -hmm. but part of it is just looking back and appreciating where we've come from Mm -hmm. and acknowledging the fact that God was with us in everything. God was with us in everything and even the mess, even the brokenness, even in our perimenopausal phases, even of our frustrations with our husbands, thinking that they don't know us, they don't understand us. They don't know what we're going through, right? Which is objectively, that could probably be a circumstance. They don't because they're men. Yes. They don't have this experience in their bodies. Right. So that's pretty facty. And mm-hmm. you can just say that he doesn't understand is probably just a fact. Yes. But yes. That he's have a to male. Be a bad um, thing. Yeah. He's not a female. He doesn't know what I know. He doesn't right. experience what I'm experiencing. Yeah. You're we were do- joking about NFP the other day. I have a podcast with my brother-in-law and my friend, Sean. Yes. What is the name of it? I- that's uh, who you're going to call. We're a counselor, a coach, and a spiritual director. And we're trying to help people see what those three professions do and discern who they might want to call and talk to. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. So it's super fun. It's super fun. But we were joking about NFP the other day because uh, one of the guys was trying to talk about the different phases. And he said, I don't know, we were in phase no. <laughs> and, and we were dying because we're like, for men, it's phase yes and phase no. <laughs> like. Exactly. Both of the phases. But for women, it's this drama, right? Like of, oh, here are the phases and here's what I have to do. And here's the symptoms and here's the symbols and all the things. And like, and it's so much to carry. And I teased my husband one time early in our years of our NFP journey, we were using a, a method of NFP that was not working for us. It was working. We weren't getting pregnant, but it was very difficult. It was a lot of pressure on me. And so I told him, because he was trying to help me and and I didn't know how to ask for help because it was just all in my head and it was my body and it felt broken and I felt like I was the problem. And I remember telling him, I'm Frodo and I'm carrying the ring and you're Sam and you want to help and you can't. <laughs> you just have to walk with me, okay? And carry me when I cry. That's your job. You know, and it was like, it was the best analogy I could find. Cause I'm like, you can't carry this burden. I can't hand it off to you. It is my body and it is what I'm going through. And of course there's mindset work around the words burden and things like that. But just that reality of like, whatever phase of life we're in, whatever our cycle is doing or not doing, it is ours. And it is something that we personally are having this front row experience with that our husbands just aren't having because they're men. Right. Sometimes I honestly think their job is harder because mm-hmm. they're trying to support someone that they don't know how to support and right. they're trying to carry someone that they don't know how to carry all the time. You know, right. and I tell my husband all the time, I would much rather be the pregnant one because I would not want to be on his side of it, trying to deal with all of my hormones and my tears and my joys and my sorrows and my nausea and all the things I'm like, you know what, buddy, you are well equipped to be the sturdy, dependable one. I would just be like, I don't know. I think I'm going to leave for a while because you're scaring me. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my goodness. And it's so funny because I remember after our firstborn, you get that post-birth high, like a runner's high. And I was mm-hmm. just on such a high. It was a very long labor. And so they had just taken the baby and oh, well, that was great. Let's do it again. And he looked at me and he like, you know, he patted my hand. He's like, not for a while, dear, not for a while. He's like, I was on the other end. 
And and then later he said, I now know why women have the babies, because if it were up to men, the human generate the human beings would be. <laughs> and I just remember that. Oh, yeah, that's true. You but know? it's such it's such a good analogy, though, right? Like it's such a good analogy for all of those transitions in our lives, because I, I remember realizing that pregnancy is 40 weeks. And it's like that 40 days in the desert, right? It's that time of pain and penance almost as you grow this human. So I always thought of it as Lent, like it's those yeah. 40 days of Lent. And then you have the crucifixion and the resurrection. You have the complete self-gift and the new life. Oh, and beautiful. and it's like, yes, because I did the same. I remember my third, especially. I was on such a birthing high. She was my first completely unmedicated birth. Before then, I've never done epidurals, but she was my mm -hmm. first completely unmedicated birth. It was really hard. It, she was definitely my hardest. She was sunny side up. She mm -hmm. turned at the last second. Mm -hmm. Incredibly painful. And then I gave birth to her and I remember like, you're a complete mess. You don't look good. Like everything's like you're sweaty and all the things. And, and I just remember feeling like a queen. Like everyone's fussing over me and putting warm blankets on me and taking care of the baby. And I'm sitting in this wheelchair to get sent to my other room. And I was just like, yes, yes, I am the queen of the moment. And it is okay that everyone is cleaning up my mess because I was awesome. <laughs> it's so and, true. And it's like that moment of being like, this is the beauty of the mess. If mm. you can dive into the glory of it, mm. Mm. this is where the growth happens. This is where the cool stuff happens. The cool stuff does not happen when we're comfortable and happy and everything's pretty. Like that right. is not where the cool stuff happens. Right. And that is just so, so beautiful. And it's interesting you go back because like I said, my husband's phlegmatic. I have a feeling, I mean, phlegmatic, melancholic. And, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but through the years, like I said, his immaturity, he wanted to hide from the conflict and sanguine and choleric. I mean, how much more conflict can you get with, with a wife like that? <laughs> because you're mine? not afraid. I mean, it's sort of delightful. You're not afraid of the conflict and you're willing to like engage. Yes. It's a really beautiful combination. But yeah, I can see how phlegmatic might think it's threatening. It, and yet now the beautiful thing, because really, I mean, the whole purpose of the marriage is to come together. And so he's not afraid of conflict. And it was interesting, just a, another little family story is so this summer my son my youngest graduated from high school and his birthday was the Thursday before and then the next Tuesday he graduated so we asked all the kids please come for the weekend let's surprise him you know well I have these two other sons that they're these males that have to kind of like they're young bucks trying to figure out the situation right and there was some family dynamics as children and whatever. Anyway, uh, it was Saturday afternoon and we were about to have this nice family dinner. And all of a sudden, I don't remember what the situation was, how it got started, but they went at it. And it was really interesting because the two girls kind of reacted in their own ways. And we had extended family there and my husband held the space Mm. And it was really, really interesting. And I held the space as well. I just kind of backed up and like, this needs to happen. Again, it needs to be grown. This is yeah. the process. They've, yeah. They haven't had a chance to share their struggling into figuring out who they are and who their relationship is going to be and everything. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, so then we kind of all calmed down and we came to the dinner table and literally my husband just stood up and he just looked around and he said, you know, guys, 
I'm just so thankful that every single person is here. And I, I know we're struggling. And he goes, and I, I know we weren't perfect parents and, and I'm sorry, but I can't tell you what it means to me about every single one of you guys are here. And he had such love and the strength, like his strength has come out in his old age because we're in our <laughs> 60s. <laughs> the wise old man of the village, right? And yeah. it, it was just so beautiful that, I was so proud of him mm-hmm. in that in years, because my family dynamics and my family of origin, we love to have conflict. And in, in anytime we have some sort of family <laughs> reunion in the early years, we would have a conflict and he would be out of the room. Like, where's Steve? And they're like, he's out of here. But he held his ground because he's matured in his phlegmatic. And he knows that that's his gift is to bring peace, even though it, it was just, yeah, it was so awesome. I know we could talk forever on this. Oh stuff. my gosh, I know. I'm like, I just want to keep talking. Can we just talk all day? <laughs> so good. Well, you know what? I'd love to do another podcast in the spring as we talk about going into the spring of our continuum of our, our cycles and stuff like that. That would yeah, be really fun. That would be so fun. I love that. I so, absolutely love that. But um, I'm so grateful for this conversation because honestly, I don't know a lot about perimenopause. I'm not there yet. I barely have heard the word. I You just hear menopause jokes. You don't hear about these like almost stages. Mm-hmm. And I would like to know, you know, so many of the complaints I think as women is that why didn't anybody tell me? You get to a phase of of motherhood or marriage or whatever. Why didn't anybody warn me? And I think that it's so important to have these conversations because I don't know this stuff and I want to understand it before I get there so I can start doing my mind work around it right now. (laughs) Part of the thing about perimenopause is the fact that a lot of people who have been charting, they kind of know, again, that whole concept of I'm just going to glide. And then all of a sudden their cycles are longer, their menstruation is different. They don't know what to do. They're afraid that they may get, oh oh my goodness, am I going to get pregnant? I was going to say the stakes feel a lot higher because do you want to be raising a child when you're 50? Mm -hmm. And that's another mindset thing, right? Because I have a lot of friends. I mean, I was 42. We would have probably been one of those couples, except for the fact that I had literally a life situation. But I have friends who have had children in this period, and it's been a great gift because it does keep them young, but it also is, you know, you're not a spring chicken. So discernment. Yes, exactly. So it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, if you know of a woman that's going through these kind of cycles, hot flashes are usually like the key symptom or not being able to sleep. Just send them to me. I would love to help them with their mindset, with their charting with all the things. And so I usually close with this blessing from St. Paul to the Thessalonians. So we're going to do that real quick. Do you have any other thing? We're going to include your link in the show notes for your program. When does your program start? It starts on October 27th. And I did want to offer something because I just, I'm so delighted to be here. And I just wanted to say that anybody who listens to this podcast who's interested, you can use the coupon code MamaJane20 to get 20% off to join the group. Uh, So I just want to offer that to your listeners because I would love to have you guys. It's really fun. We're going through it right now. We're just finishing up one of the groups and it's just been, it's been great for me. It's been great for the clients. Everyone's just really loving it and really rediscovering not only their husbands, but themselves. And it's, 
you know, it's fun. I like to tease women, like, how are you the ideal wife for your husband? And everyone squirms because everyone's like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just fun to play with it. Like, yes, you are because your souls are mated for life in the sacrament of marriage. So wow. you by the sacrament, you have become his ideal wife because you're his wife. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, so how beautiful. Can you, how can you lean into that? You know, so oh. anyways, I'd love to have you join us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, ladies, I hope you go to the link, sign up with Elizabeth. It's going to be a, a great course finding David. It's just gonna be so much fun, but thank you so much for taking the time and oh coming gosh. on the, this on the podcast. I'm going to be and... smiling all day. <laughs> You know, a sanguine, we're going to be like, I know. this is just fills my cup. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you all for listening. And please like this podcast. Please put a review. We'd love it. And find us on social media, Mama Jane 25 on Instagram, Elizabeth Signs. Uh, I'm actually Tabor Vision on Instagram. Yeah, yep. perfect. T-A-B-O-R. So, perfect. So, okay. Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. May the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You have a great day, divas. God bless you. And we'll see you next week. Didn't I tell you that was going to be fun? Please go to the show notes and click the link and join Elizabeth's Finding David eight-week program that will be starting soon. And if you need me as your fertility and mindset coach, you can also click my link in a discovery call and I can see how I can help you. All right, you guys have a great day and we will continue this conversation next week on perimenopause.